Hey, you're listening to Mig's Front Page with Peter Movilla. Today we'll be discussing the paper entitled Mortality Rates in Benign Laparoscopic and Robotic Gynecologic Surgery, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis. In this systematic review, a total of 21 articles totaling 124,216 patients were included, with a total mortality rate in all of benign minimally invasive surgery totaling 1 in 6,456. We are fortunate to have with us today the first author, Dr. Sadiqa Babahani from the University of California, Riverside. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Peter. I wanted to kind of get right into it and first ask you, what was your motivation for looking into this in the first place? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, as mixed surgeons, we all know the advantages of minimally invasive surgery, whether it's low, shorter hospital stays, lower rates of complications, the patients generally do better. But I was curious to see what the rate of death is with procedures that we do minimally invasive now compared to open. That was initially what got me interested in doing the systematic review. But when I tried to look up the information, I couldn't find mortality rates reported for either open surgeries or minimally invasive surgery. And because we do minimally invasive surgery so often, I thought it was worth putting the time and effort to actually collect all the data from the literature, pull the data, and come up with those numbers that I think are useful for everyone to know, whether you're the surgeon doing this procedure or the patient on the other side of the procedure. And um, most of the papers that had mortality rates were actually deaths reported in oncology. So survival curves, Kaplan-Meier curves, things like that. But it sounded like no one was interested to report mortality separately just as an entity with laparoscopy. It was mostly, you know, put in there as an outcome if follow-up was long enough to look for it. So here's table two. It looks like you did a odds of death and you did it based on procedure. So yeah. I guess one of my first questions were, it looks like you looked at the difference between laparoscopic and robotic assisted surgery for all benign laparoscopic surgery. What did you see? So interestingly, um, there was no difference noted between robotic and laparoscopy, which is what we've noticed with a lot of outcomes and complications. You know, mm -hmm. when the robot first started, people wanted to think that the robot was better, and then people were kind of attacking the robot, saying that the cost wasn't necessary or justified. But most of the data that we have available comparing laparoscopy and robot for any outcome have shown similar. Um, results and mortality is of no exception. So mortality after all robotic procedures was one in 5,430, which is a really difficult number to remember. You know, with any meta-analysis, there are always lots of numbers. So thank you for pulling up that table for me because I don't even know the number off by heart. And then for laparoscopy procedures, it was one in 6,512. But... Uh, yeah, if you look at, I think, the um, you know, commonest procedure that we perform is hysterectomy. So if you look at the risk of death from laparoscopic hysterectomy, for example, it's one in 6,799, which is similar to the risk of death from all MIS procedures. And like I said, it's a hard number, difficult number to remember. So in order to make it um, more user-friendly, let's say, it, it's, it's similar to the death of dying from the flu. You know, the flu is very common. We're all worried about getting the flu. We get vaccinated against the flu, and we can hear of how the flu can be very dangerous and can be associated with adverse events such as death. 
while minimally invasive surgery for GYN poses a similar risk to dying from the flu, according to the latest CDC um, numbers. Well, thank you. That was a pretty good analogy. To put it in perspective, it is pretty rare then. It is. What are some of your thoughts about the mortality rate for laparoscopic sacrocopopexies, as well as adnexal surgery being potentially slightly higher than that of hysterectomy? It's a little counterintuitive that a procedure potentially less uh, difficult than a hysterectomy could have a little bit higher of a mortality rate. Yeah, I completely agree with your statement. So first of all, when reviewing the literature, just like with any other meta-analysis, you're very limited in the information that the paper presents. So I tried to see what the cause of death was in the papers that did report mortality. And um, sorry, I'm sidetracking from your question, but I think that's also an important part to discuss, an important issue to bring up with the, this meta-analysis, is that the, risk, the cause of death was not always reported. And when I wanted to analyze and see what the cause of death was when it was reported, it was mostly related to medical comorbidities. There was a patient who had atrial fibrillation, who had pacemaker malfunction. There was a case of a PE. There was a case of an intra-abdominal hemorrhage. And then bowel injury, obviously, came up multiple times. So I, th I thought it was interesting, but one paper actually reported that the, bowel, the risk of death from unrecognized bowel injury was one in 125 cases. So that's something that I know all of us as surgeons are always mindful of is to make sure that we don't have an unrecognized bowel injury because we know how, risk, how risky that is in terms of mortality. Going back to your questions, having said that, sacrocolpopexy is usually performed in older patients. So they may have more comorbidities, they may have a higher frailty index, and so they might not, their deaths might not be directly related to the surgical procedure performed, but more so to their um, general state of well-being going into surgery. Because the, uh, the deaths that we were reporting occurred in the post-operative period, they weren't necessarily related to the surgery directly. Now for adnexal surgeries, patients are generally young, right? They're not as frail or as old as you would expect for with sacrocopopexy. Mm -hmm. If you look at the number of cases that had that nexal surgery reported, it was 1,960. Sacrocopopexy, again, small numbers, 757. Compared to, look at the numbers for hysterectomy, yeah. 119,721. So you're obviously not going to get similar results if you have such a huge cohort difference between the two procedures. And I think ultimately that's what, that's what explains the different numbers. How does the mortality rate in benign gynecologic laparoscopic surgery compared to other surgical specialties? So, like I said, when I first started looking at mortality with surgery, it's a very poorly reported topic. And I've discussed it with my colleagues in colorectal surgery and urology to see if they are aware of any papers that report mortality. It's kind of in a similar way where we report mortality in this paper. And, you know, they weren't able to think of any. So I did my own search and I was only able to find three papers that reported mortality for random surgical indications. So one of them was a paper that reviewed complications of colorectal resection for inflammatory bowel disease, and they were all laparoscopic surgeries. And mortality reported there was from 0 to 1.4%. So 1.4% is significantly higher than our operative mortality for GYN surgery. 
Another paper looked at the risk of death from renal nephrectomy, donor, renal donor nephrectomy patients. So patients who give up their kidneys for donation, what is their risk of dying? I think that's a very important question, right? Because you're willingly giving away your kidney. You want to know other than maybe potentially having impaired renal function, are you going to die from the surgery? And the mortality rate reported was 0.1%. Again, significantly higher than the mortality rate we report for GYN surgery. One last paper that I also thought was interesting that looked at mortality in ruin-wise um, laparoscopic surgeries. So patients have those procedures performed maybe for you know, bariatric purposes, weight loss. They are not necessarily emergency surgeries, and their risk of death was 0.1 to 2%. Again, significantly higher than our GYN mortality. And it could be because that those papers did not include a large number of studies like our papers did, or it could be that GYN surgery is generally safer than other surgical specialties. But I do think that in general, this is a very poorly reported outcome. And I do encourage um, our general surgery, urology, colorectal fellows to possibly look into performing a similar study to report mortality rates for their procedures, at least procedures that they commonly perform. That's a good initiative to kind of task them. It is an interesting topic for sure. The next if they can do it, they can do it. I believe it. Well, I have one question. It's something you brought up in the discussion. It talked about uh, putting mortality or death from surgery on the surgical consent form. And I want to know, it seems like it's something that you had um, encouraged to do based on your study. Um, how do you kind of go about that in your preoperative visit? I've worked at several institutions and I could tell you from experience that it's not on all surgical consents, at least at places I've worked at. Um, so I wanted to hear from you um, what your thoughts were and how you task that. No one wants to start consenting a patient by saying, hey, you know, you could die from the surgery. That's usually not something that we like talking about because it is such a rare event, but it does have a lot of catastrophic sequelae associated with it. So it's, you know, when, whenever you're performing surgery as a treatment for a medical condition, you want to make the patient feel confident that this will solve their complaint that they're here for, and they're not here to create new issues. But the patient also has the right to know exactly what the risks and benefits are of the procedure you're about to perform. And we commonly just mention briefly that, you know, there may be damage to nearby organs such as bladder or bowel. Maybe people will say if there's an injury, recognize at the time, we'll fix it. And very rarely do you hear people saying you may die from this procedure because we all think, oh, it's such a rare event. It's not going to happen to me. And, you know, hopefully it won't, but I do think that it's, uh, it's, that every patient has the right to know what their risk of dying from surgery is. And we can, traditionally people have just said less than 1%, which is a great number, but how low is it? You know, is it less than 1%? Is it 0.5%? Is it 0.2%? That's still, you know, two in a thousand. That's still scary. But now we can say it only happens in one in, 6,000 or 7,000 patients. Or we can say, you know, the risk of dying from GYN surgery is similar to the risk of dying from the flu. You know, we try and avoid it as much as we can, and it's an extremely rare outcome. People get the flu all the time, but they rarely die. Similarly with surgery, people get surgery all the time, and they rarely die. But it is still a possible outcome, and it can still happen. And, you know, we don't want to say this 
justice care patients in any way, but I do think that they have the right to know what their risk of dying is from any laparoscopic or robotic procedure. And that should apply for all surgeries and not just MIS surgery, but it's nice that we were able to tabulate the data now and present it in a numeric form where people can actually use it for counseling. And you know, looking up the literature to try and compare it to other, um, other specialties, at least now we feel confident that GYN surgery is actually safer. And we're actually leaders in performing those minimally invasive procedures with very minimal risk of death. I love that answer. I agree with you 100%. Surgery usually is one of the kind of last uh, pieces of our algorithms for most of our treatments of benign diseases. And I do think it, it does bring up the point of it is a serious treatment modality. So I kind of, I like your explanation and could potentially seeing uh, encouraging my other colleagues to also kind of change up their consent forms. Well, thank you again so much for your time. This was a lovely discussion and I really look forward to kind of hearing other people's responses and I really hope more people get to read this systematic review. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking the time to discuss the paper with me and I'm glad that you found our paper interesting. For sure. Thank you again. Thank you to all those who have tuned in to watch our episode of MIGS Front Page. I look forward to seeing you guys at our next podcast. Have a good day.